people are, they're not just commodities. They're not just people who come in and crank out widgets. People are human beings. They have their own goals, their aspirations and desires. And to the extent that you take the time to really understand them and their needs and their strengths and their interests, and you align that to what the team needs to do, and you hit that sweet spot, you're going to get engagement. I'm Adam Connors from NetworkWise and your host of Who's Who in HR. Ask any successful CEO about the most important aspect of their company and they'll inevitably answer their people. And who is it that's responsible for their people? It's human resources. In fact, HR is the backbone of any elite organization. They attract, develop, and engage top talent, progress culture, secure and manage important benefit programs, Make sure you're appropriately paid, protect the best interest of each employee and the company, and so much more that, quite frankly, often gets taken for granted. On Who's Who in HR, I'll have in-depth discussions with well-known human resource leaders who offer insights into who they are, how they got there, and the areas they support. During our conversation, these leaders will reveal beneficial industry advice and innovative trends in the HR space that's contributing to keeping the world's most successful companies at the top of their game. My guest in this episode is Joe Posner. He oversees the HR function for New Visions Public Schools and Charter Schools. Joe is passionate about helping others and leading with empathy. And he knows it's important to set the right culture in the workplace. Otherwise, an unwelcome culture might sprout. Let's dive right in. Joe Posner, welcome to the show. How are you, my friend? Great. Thanks so much for having me, Adam. All right. You sound great. I'm liking the energy. <laughs> <laughs> you ready to have some fun today? Yeah, I am. Let's All do right, this. Well. Hey, for those that don't know who you are, if you don't mind, just uh, give a quick synopsis on who you are, what you do, and then uh, what I'd like to do is kind of go through some what I call rapid fire questions to let the audience get a better feel for you as a person. And then after that, what we'll do is we'll get into what I call the main segment and we're going to focus on what you're doing and uh, got a couple topics in mind that I'd like to ask you about. Sound like a plan? Sounds good. All right. So... Who am I? That's, that's a deep question. <laughs> well, I'll start with what I'm doing right now. So I'm the Managing Director of Human Resources at New Visions for Public Schools. I've been there for seven years. I've been in the HR field for about 20 years now, having originally started in for-profit, working for a global software company, then taking some time to go teach English as a second language in Japan, where I studied the language and, and martial arts, and then came back actually after 9-11 and decided to move into nonprofit, where I've been for almost two decades now, and in uh, the education sector for about the past dozen years. Wow. What prompted you to move into nonprofit? I had worked for a great company, but after 9-11 happens and I was kind of living in Japan and trying to figure out where I was going with my life, I thought when I came back, I, I wanted to do something that I knew was making a, a really strong impact on the community, the surrounding world. And so when I got contacted by a recruiter to work for a wonderful nonprofit named uh, Safe Horizon, works with survivors of child abuse, uh, domestic violence, all kinds of deep challenges. And they just do great work. And I was really excited to go work for them and spend about seven years there. Wow. And then I had an opportunity to pivot into the education field as I 
I work with youth by teaching uh, martial arts as well. And so someone had contacted me about an opportunity to lead HR for a educational nonprofit that provides free after school programming to about 100 schools across New York City, schools that couldn't otherwise afford things like sports and arts. So I was there for about four years before moving over to New Visions. Interesting. Wow. You've definitely dedicated yourself to a higher cause. So uh, kudos for you for doing that. And it sounds like you can just tell through our conversations that you're really passionate, not only just about what you do, but who you're doing it for. So thank you for that. All right, Joe. Now is my rapid fire questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> Introvert, extrovert, or would you consider yourself somewhere in the middle, what they call a centrovert or an ambivert? I would go ambivert. I was also actually ambidextrous through fifth grade. <laughs> a little note really? They would write with both hands, throw with both hands. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm pretty much ambient in all ways. <laughs> <laughs> Very fitting. <laughs> Tell me a habit that you have. Good, bad, or indifferent? I'm stubborn. I don't give up easily. And so whatever it may be, I will stick it through and not stop, which in some ways is good, gets things done. In other ways, it can drive people crazy because I, I don't want to stop and never take a break. <laughs> yeah, I understand. I get that. Can you share something with me that most people don't know about you? Certainly in the work world, most people don't know that I'm a martial artist. I hold a fourth degree black belt in Shotokan Karate. I've uh, been training in Dosuke Paris Suprema for the past few years, and in the past I've trained in Judo, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and Muay Thai. What, what kind of commitment does that take to get to where as far as you did? So certainly things change with life. In the beginning, I was training probably five, six days a week, multiple times a day for the first few years that I was in it as I graduated college and went into the workforce, things would shift. Maybe I'd be down to three days a week. And, you know, currently with a toddler at home, I was teaching double classes one night a week until uh, COVID happened. But it took a steady commitment. They say it's like uh, boiling water. You got to keep the heat on. Can't take it off the pot. So it's been about 25 years now, I guess I've been steady at it. That's impressive. And what have been, what has it done for you as a person or even maybe even professionally? I think it's, 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 affected me in a big way throughout my life. The character development focus, the part that I really fell in love with was, was not just the, the physical aspect, but the spiritual aspect of really diving into the philosophy and reflection on some of those core values within the martial arts about benevolence and diligence and courage. I really had to kind of lead with those virtues. And then in, in teaching, there's been a whole other development. I think you understand something way deeper when you teach it. And on top of that, especially working with both youth and adults, you have a real opportunity to influence the lives of others. And that's extremely rewarding. That seems to be something very consistent with uh, who you are in your life. So it's good. I love your tagline on uh, LinkedIn where it says, investing in people, building capacity, adding value. Can you tell me where that came from? Is that a quote that you heard or is that just something that you came up with? That's something I came up with. I actually spent um, a good amount of time thinking about that. And I wanted to kind of think about as much I mean, nonprofits and we talk about what's our mission in the nonprofits. And with my teams in HR, I want to think about what's my mission and my purpose in the work that I do, why I show up every day. And after giving it a good amount of thought, I, these are the three tenants that really kind of resonated deeply for me. 
Uh, companies are not tangible things that you can hold. They're comprised of the people that make them. And investing in people to help them grow and build their capacity is ultimately how you add value, both for individuals and for organizations. It's actually with some of the consulting I do, that's my tagline for that, is helping you to add individual and organizational value. It's all about people at the end of the day. Great companies are not objects or products. They're great people organized well together, creating the conditions for people to thrive. And that's why I do what I do. That is powerful. If that's not your elevator pitch, I think you might want to kind of make that become the <laughs> elevator pitch. It's good. I got to tell you. <laughs> so you're the head of HR for New Visions for public schools. Mm-hmm. Really cool. I don't know what you want to call that. I guess it's not a business because it's nonprofit um, organization, mm-hmm. I guess. Do you have an area of expertise yourself? Is there a certain part of HR that you'd say that is your strength? Or is it just more understanding holistically kind of a big umbrella and it's more like management at this point? I'd say it's both. I mean, I I think I've over the past 20 years or so, I've really delved into every single aspect of HR. I've personally done just about every single thing that anybody on my team does. I mean, now there's people who've surpassed what I could do when I did it, but I've certainly played every hat. And I studied each role, so I certainly think I've gotten the knowledge in all aspects of HR, though in my role now, it's certainly much more about creating conditions for great people to, to bring the work to life. Interesting. And tell me a little bit more about New Visions, because it's a really complicated structure, correct? Yeah, yeah. We actually talk a lot about how do we talk about New Visions, because we do so many different things, and people are always like, oh, you're this organization that has charter schools or you work with the city, right? And ultimately, New Vision's been around for 30 years and they exist to really promote equity in public schools, equity in in education. And our focus, certainly in the past six years or so, has been about recognizing the power of systems and how you design equitable systems and structures through consistent routines that can yield more equitable outcomes for our youth. So we, we operate the largest charter high school network in New York City we're also serving as the largest affinity partner to the city Department of Education, the 71 schools that we partner with. And then we have about another 600 plus schools that, that utilize our data systems that we've made. And we also create curriculum that we make free for everybody to use. Educators all over the country have used it. So I, I guess in a more simplistic way to describe it, we're filled with former educators who are really passionate who care deeply about the work and they recognize the challenges that they've had working in schools before and they come here to really help develop solutions that can bolster and supplement uh, the city's efforts or the district's efforts. And so going back to that example, there's no national or state curriculum and many educators, uh, like many people in our office, when they started as teachers, they'd be handed old textbooks or a drawer full of unorganized papers and said, go teach. And it's a lot of work. And so we've developed, we say, by Teachers for Teachers, a curriculum that's open source, free, purposely built in Google Docs and Google Classrooms. So educators, it's really accessible for them. They can just make a copy and tweak it and make it their own. And um, that's it's the goal, to really help people have quality education. And the other piece is about recently, certainly, educational technology. There's nothing out there that really organizes data about students in a way that schools can use in real time, take actionable steps to help students improve their outcomes. So we built a data portal that makes that possible. We joined disparate data systems. We add additional capabilities to capture things that aren't being systematically tracked. It allows 
insights into cohort demographic level views, dashboards. You can look at plan grad rates, student attendance, college readiness rates, drill down, scrape down to the student profiles, has flags that, that highlight data that needs attention. But a lot of times people think about students being reduced to data. This is the exact opposite. Without data, students will get lost in the shuffle. You have hundreds or thousands of students. This is ways to individualize support for students by being really purposeful in, in this world. And we go back in the early 90s, we spearheaded the small school movement across New York City. After for about four decades straight, New York City high school graduation rates hovered around 50%. And so that's why we were founded as a private nonprofit to be a partner to support um, the public school system. And uh, so one of the first big things we did is we created about 140 small schools across the city, taking these massive buildings of thousands of students and making them smaller buildings, smaller schools with student voice, staff voice, integrating in with the community as a core part of our, our work. And what is that number that was 50% turned into? Well, our network this past year, almost 86% graduation rate on the district side and almost 90% on the charter. And this year's numbers are still coming out. I just attended a graduation yesterday, virtually, of course, where one of our charter schools is having a 100% graduation rate this year. Oh, nice. Congratulations. <laughs> they earned it. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, this year they definitely did. So have you always been technically inclined and a data guy or is this something that you've uh, kind of evolved into and kind of taken the reins with? My very first job, I was an HR assistant and I was kind of tasked, they were implementing a new HIS system. And I kind of just had an affinity for picking up the system really quick. And before I knew it, I was the person um, really leading the work in that and becoming the help desk person, so to speak, for all the global HR managers on it. And so that was the first part where I really kind of took off with data and reporting, how to use systems, uh, how to organize entering data, how to extract the data, um, started creating reports for the CEO that you know he, he'd never had before for our global offices. That kind of really sprung the interest in the first core part for me in HR. Mm. And what has this data and tech that you've brought, what has that afforded you the ability to do? Well, certainly today, I think the HR landscape has changed dramatically. When I first started, it was amazing and people were really grateful for me to be able to leverage technology and data. Today, it's absolutely an expectation in strong companies and strong organizations. And I believe the future workforce it's not going to just be that the people who do systems development and data analytics are in, you know, the technology team. You're, yes, you're always going to have that, and they're going to be providing support for the whole organization. But today, you have kids in elementary school learning how to code. You have people on every team who are going to be able to do things in ways that we've never done before. And to automate functions in your day-to-day -day tasks where people might be spending three hours doing something that could be completely automated, and you can't have two people in, in your tech team do that for like every department. Your departments are going to need to start building that capacity. And that's one of the things I really, I've invested in my team and I'm really proud. They've developed some amazing things, I would say, in all the gap areas. Right? There's a lot of great technology out there. We have a wonderful applicant tracking system, onboarding system, self-service, uh, employee manager, all of that stuff. But there's still things in between, right? So you try and manage a city, state, and federal leave administration, it is like putting together a 5,000-piece puzzle. Um, it's complicated. 
Yeah. Uh, you have to do compensation for union, non-union, faculty, non-faculty, school leaders, and then our central office and all our jobs in our central office, grandfathered ladders, certified, uncertified, it, it, it gets really complicated. These are things that most systems can't handle. So we built ones where we, we organized the data really well and leveraged Google Forms going into spreadsheets that connect into things like Tableau and, and web apps. To, uh, we have a person on my team. I actually taught her VLOOKUP about 15 years ago. And today she's doing things I, I can't even pretend to understand, <laughs> but is able to take the data and make automated messages, automated, taking our, our templates. I write a bunch of templates of letters. And then when the conditions are met, we know the right person's getting the right letter and eliminates uh, manual errors and are forgetting to put in this sentence for this situation, things like that. Wow. Is there ever too much data? You know what I'm saying? Is there <laughs> I, I hear you get lost in a lot of data. In this sense, there's no way we would have gotten through the scale we did without this. Um, when I started there, we had about 80 people in the main office and about 80 people in our schools. Today, we have we doubled that in the main office, 160 now, and our schools are about 650 or so staff. So it's been like 800% growth in our schools and double the growth in our central office. And to be able to make that kind of scale, we needed to get good at systems, data, and structures. And that was the only way we wouldn't get lost in this myriad of complexity. Jesus. So with all the things that are going on right now, you've got so many different moving parts. What's the, I guess, overall biggest challenge of your role? My role, uh, I'd say I'd like to constantly keep the eye on vision and where the team is going. And as much as I want to do that, I still have to balance that with the day-to-day. -day. And You might get that call one day and something needs to, maybe a labor relations issue or an investigation at one of the sites. And whatever you got planned for the day goes to the side and you have to handle that. And at the same time, it's, it's running all the different HR teams or are working on our, we have our equity working group for diversity, equity, and inclusion, or being part of the senior management team conversations. There's many different hats and roles. So I think trying to balance all those places to get the right amount of attention that they need is probably one of the biggest challenges. Jeez. And what has been the biggest skill set that you've acquired that you feel has led to the success that you've been having? Um, biggest skill set I've acquired, I would say it's balancing a wide range of perspectives to be able to identify a common goal to bring people mm. together. I think the more, and our president says this a lot, the more you can see from a wider lens, the more you can see from other people's seats and perspectives, and the more we can come together around those common goals and interests that we're doing, the more we're going to be able to move the work forward in a productive and collaborative way. And um, at the end of the day, it, it's people and it's teamwork. There's so much. And again, I, I take so much pride in my team. What we have accomplished is, is nothing that I could have done by myself. Uh, it all comes because you have great people who are empowered to come together and build things together. And doing that at scale with an organization and creating the culture where you have the conditions to attract and develop and retain people like that who are care and passionate about the work they're doing and want to make a real difference and you're enabling that to happen. That's what keeps me doing what I do. That's great. How important are these relationships that you're talking about? And like, what is it that you do to actively build these relationships with your team when you're pulled into so many different directions? Yeah, it, it takes time. I think 
you know, most important for me, and I really try and instill this on the team, is, is leading with empathy. I, I look to hire hardworking people who care, but more than anything that they know that I care about them. People are, they're not just commodities. They're not just people who come in and crank out widgets. People are human beings. They have their own goals, their aspirations and desires. And to the extent that you take the time to really understand them and their needs and their strengths and their interests, and you align that to what the team needs to do, and you hit that sweet spot, you're going to get engagement. There's a, a Japanese term called ikigai. There's a whole yeah. book on it, actually. And I love this term. And it's really, it loosely translates as a reason for being. And it's this idea of taking like a Venn diagram of understanding what you're passionate about, what the world needs, what you can be paid for, what you're skilled at, what your strengths are and interests are, and how you can align those, then you're going to really be engaged. And you're not going to come out the sides with all kinds of negative emotions that are being emitted or, or passive aggressive behavior or whatever it may be, because these are the things that leak out when our needs aren't being met. And so these are the focus. And I always bring this into my manager trainings to say to the extent you're able to think about this for your staff against the needs for your team and the organization, that's where you're going to mitigate those employee relations issues and you're going to really promote a strong, positive culture. Wow. Now, was this something that just kind of was intuitive to you or where did all of this come from? Are these books that you've read that you learned to manage like this or is there a podcast you're listening to? Uh, and if so, please share. So other people yeah. can, can learn because yeah. this philosophy, it's obviously working. <laughs> I, I think it's a good combination of things. You know, the, I mentioned the martial arts before, so Ikigai, you know, one of my senseis had given me a book on Ikigai some time ago, which really intrigued me. Then there's all the work on emotional intelligence. Mark Brackett has that great book that just came out, Permission to Feel. He runs the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence. And all of that work that's really coming at the forefront of recognition that this is really important. Leadership quality for, for any person in an organization is, is to have that. Another one I, I love, uh, uh, my wife actually uh, gave me this book, is called Comfortable with Uncertainty by Puma Chodron. And it, it's like 108 short, like a couple of page long little stories. And each one is a lesson really about how to lead with compassion and kind of recognize where you are in your life and have compassion for yourself as well. We're so hard on ourselves so often, but to recognize with deeper understanding where we are and making decisions on how we want to move forward. And part of that, I also invest in myself. You know, There's a life coach I work with. and She's really helped me to take a look at the parts of myself that I may not like, the parts of myself that other people may not like about me or whatever it may be to really take deep, hard looks at, at oneself and to understand it more and to have some compassion for yourself there and then to decide, do you want to continue moving from that place or not? And I think reflection is really important. That's excellent. And it's funny, there seems to be a common theme on coaching that's been coming up a lot in just conversations I've had with other individuals like yourself that run HR departments or just any senior leadership. And uh, a lot of people are number one, getting a lot more coaches and I think even just go back five, maybe even 10 years. Uh, let alone trying to encourage other people to get coaches as well, whether it's from an accountability standpoint, whether it's, again, letting yourself breathe <laughs> or just to help you achieve some of the goals that you have or even help identifying what those goals are because a lot of times people really struggle with doing that. So appreciate you sharing that. Let me ask you this. What's mm -hmm. the best advice that somebody ever gave you? Best advice someone ever gave me? I would say... 
I was a hockey player back in the day, and I always view things as being we're all on the same team, working for the same organization, trying for the same goal. I was at a place once where my supervisor said, you're out there playing hockey. There was some challenges we were working through, and he's like, but people here, they're playing chess. It's like you're playing an entire different game. I was like, I don't want to play chess because we're all in the same organization. I want to play hockey. I want to be on, on the team trying to win the game here. And what it connected with was the idea of for you got to know the game that's being played and, and play it the best you can while you're there. And if you decide that that's not the game you want to play, then you choose by making your move, but you don't throw the game. Mm. And, and that was essentially, uh, I think, a good lesson about really knowing you want to be happy where you are in an organization and what you're doing. And if you're not, that also doesn't mean, I would say, as an analogy, you say you're coming out the sides, right? You don't want to uh, do behaviors that are, are more self-destructive in that sense, right? You want to say, if, if you're there, you're, you're going to do the best you can. And then if you decide it's not where you want to be, then move on. I think that was uh, wise advice. That's great advice. I like that. I'm a big advice guy and I'm also a big quote guy. And I want to throw a quote at you and I'd love to get your interpretation. It doesn't necessarily have to be of what the quote is, but what does it mean to you? Ready? Yep. It's not the numbers that drive the culture. It's the culture that drives the numbers. And as a data guy, I'm very interested to get your perspective on this. And I can say well, it. Again it makes me think of another quote. It Ooh. makes me think of a culture strategy for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I love that one. Yeah. I think it, to me, the numbers are an outcome. They're not the cause. And I think that to me, the key there is that culture is the driver, right? Numbers are not the driver, and num numbers are result. And what you get for that output depends on your input. And your input, I think the strongest influence you can have on an input is culture, structures that you put into place. And like I said before, you don't, even if you buy a company's product off the shelf, the company itself is not the product. It is the people that make the company. And people are what make organizations, and people are what make numbers. And whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, or how it is, it all comes down to people. And so, and how you organize people and how you develop people or not develop them is culture. And I, I've said to many organization leaders, if you don't spend the time to define the culture you want, it doesn't mean that there isn't culture. There's always going to be culture, even if you don't take the time to, to acknowledge and, and work towards the one you want. It, culture will create on itself just like a turnover will continue beyond people because of culture. And so it really takes some purposeful thinking if you want to shift culture. And it's not something that happens overnight and it's not something that happens by one beautifully written page, something that gets posted. It's something that comes over time with trust and trust in actions and trust in behaviors and trust that you're interested in people and in supporting them and that you're providing inspiration and vision for why they're here, why they're showing up every day to do this work. Because the last thing I, part of the reasons why I'm in this work as well is I hate hearing about people who just show up for a paycheck. Mm -hmm. um, you spend so much of your life at work. It's terrible if all you do is hate your work. But how do you create conditions? I mean, uh, uh, another thing a, a former supervisor said to me once was the idea that employees every day show up on a spectrum of performance. You can be anywhere from the minimum, which you would call quit and stay model, where you don't actually quit, but you, you've quit. But you're, yep. you're not quitting. <laughs> you just wait to see if somebody actually decides to tell you to leave. And then the highly engaged side. 
And you could be anywhere on that spectrum on any given day. And I think that's the job of leaders and, and organizations to really figure out how do you create the conditions to keep people motivated and engaged to stay on that high end and choosing the kind of people who are going to be there who want that. That reminds me of another great quote I, I once heard. Investing in people, building capacity, adding value. <laughs> uh, <laughs> ties right in. <laughs> I actually will share one other quote that I think you'll appreciate. I, I heard, I, I can't remember who said it, but it was like, you don't change culture through emails and memos. You change it through relationships, one conversation at a time. And uh, yes. I think it seems to be pretty in line with how you're thinking. All right. My last question before I let you go, what question would you have asked if you were the host? I guess it would be HR gets a bad rap. Why HR? Okay. What's the answer? I think one of the things that many HR professionals have faced over their career, and I know I have as well, is uh, I guess something I would call scar tissue. Scar tissue is people having had bad experiences with HR at other companies and immediately attributing that. So you're already starting a few levels back with somebody or someplace. And maybe that's part of the culture, right? How people perceive HR. And I think for a long time, there's a perception of HR as administration. They do paper. They just do whatever a leader asks them to do. So they're not really there to support people. It's there to support the organization and, and really trying to unpack all of that. To me, one, supporting the organization is supporting the people. Mm. And the reason why I do it is I, was, I had a wonderful mentor in my first job. I had a double degree in psychology and philosophy, and nobody was going to pay me to have deep thoughts on life. So somebody said, try HR, <laughs> which I did. <laughs> and I had a great mentor as my first supervisor. And I really loved how HR could be involved in making an impact in every aspect of the business. Even if it was true that many times, as long as things went well, it was behind the scenes and nobody really took notice. And if things went bad, they were the first person to notice and saying, oh, well, this is HR, right? We didn't hire the right people or we didn't terminate the right people or we didn't promote the right people, whatever it may be, bring it back to HR. But I really like the idea of, well, this is really challenging. How do you create the right conditions to make all these pieces come together for all these people to do all this great work across the entire organization? And, and there's really no other place that you can sit where you can kind of have a, your hands in, in a little bit across all of that. And that, that really intrigued me. And, and the idea about promoting fairness, equity, things like, like fair pay and fair hiring and, and mitigating things like unconscious bias and other things in, in practices when it comes to recruitment, promotions and other things like that. That, that all stands out for me as, as things that are really important and that I'm happy to see is, is becoming a lot more front and center these days than, than they were when I first started. Well, just so you know, I think I'm going to be voting for you for some type of uh, political, uh, I hope to see you out there on, on the polls one of these days, Joe. I got to tell you, <laughs> I, I like your perspective. You're committed to helping people and it's been a common theme. You're obviously successful. And I also appreciate your generosity, not just to what you're giving back to other people, but your generosity with your time today with me. So thank you so much for coming on the show, my friend. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you for reaching out. You got it. Many thanks for listening to Who's Who in HR. If you're looking to connect with more top-level HR professionals, be sure to log on to NetworkWise.com to find out how you could be part of an HR mastermind group. Also, 
Subscribe to our newsletter to stay up to date on everything happening with NetworkWise. In the interim, make it a great day and remember to always NetworkWise.